Praise the Lord. I don't know if we'll make it through three. Um, I, I prepared for three uh, chapters tonight. Um, it kind of goes through a little bit of a story there and, and all. Uh, but we'll take them one at a time. And we've made it as far as Genesis 34. And uh, just always remember, God's word is alive and gives life. So, I'll go ahead and read 31 of these verses. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had bore to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. And his soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman. And then he spoke kindly to the young woman. And so Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. And now his sons were with his livestock in the field. And so Jacob held his peace until they came. And then Hamor, Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. Well, the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter and the thing which ought not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, my soul, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife and make marriages with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters to yourselves. So you will dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. And then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me whatever, how much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say. But give me the young woman as a wife. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father and spoke deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister, Dinah their sister. And they said to them, We cannot do this thing, to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we'll consent to you. If you'll become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we'll take your daughters to us, and we'll dwell with you, and we'll become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. And so the young man did not delay to do the thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives, and let us give, our daughters, or give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people, if every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock and their property and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them that they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city heeded Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. And now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, 
Each took his sword and came boldly on the city and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword. And they took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city, what was in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones, their wives they took captive. They plundered even all that was in the houses. And then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You've troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they'll gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a harlot? Well, an interesting chapter to say the least. Um, So before we do anything um, with this to get a better understanding, I'm going to spend a little bit of time setting all this in context. And um, the first thing we've got to do really anytime we study scripture is make sure it's in context. And the context of this goes all the way back to Genesis 12, if you want to go back there. And then we're going to kind of make our way up through um, until we get to this point, And we'll kind of see why things went the way they went and what really was going on here. Um, so Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3. This starts with the promises God made to Abram and Abraham and, um, and, it, and it establishes some things that need to you know, be done. And now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing I will bless those who curse you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham was singled out by the Lord, and the promise was made to him then that from him, from Abraham, God would raise up a great nation. Now if you turn the page, if you have to, to just chapter 13, looking at verses 14 and 15, and God's going to establish it. A little bit more, but he kind of puts in some of the uh, details a little bit. Um, chapter thirteen, fourteen through 18. And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise and walk in the land through its length and its width, for I will give it to you. Then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees, or the oak trees, of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and he built an altar to the Lord. The land would belong to Abraham. He's not sharing it with anybody. And his descendants alone, nothing is said of sharing or intermarrying to live with the current occupants of the land of Israel. In fact, to the contrary, he's saying, I will make of you a great nation. Uh, the next chapter would be 15, if you go over a page, chapter 15. And we've studied through this in the last few months and all, and, uh, but to set the context of what happens here to Dinah and why Shechem and... Uh, and Simeon and Levi did what they did. 
Um, 15 verses 7 and 8. Um, here God is establishing his covenant with Abraham. And then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, the Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And down to verses 13 through 21. Then he said to Abraham, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. He's speaking of Egypt. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out, and you shall come out. I should say they, being his descendants, will come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. Notice this. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. That's significant. And it came to pass, when the sun went down, then it was dark, that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch, and it passed between those pieces that Abraham had laid out. And on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. Kind of keep a track of these names, because we're going to be dealing with a lot of names tonight. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. But notice verse 17, it says, there, um, I should say 16, their iniquity has not been made complete. Um, God's covenant with Abraham was established, and it was in, for this land and his descendants. But notice it can't happen it cannot happen until the iniquity is uh, complete. The word iniquity there means perversity, depravity, uh, the kind of iniquity that has a guilt that requires a punishment to it, not a guilty feeling, an actual guilt. Um, and, and it's said of that nation and of the nations around. Uh, he's going to give them all their lands. And at this point, whether the rest are one way or another, the Amorites... Their sin is not yet complete, the word being mature, come to its fruition, come to that place where it's uh, you know, full of perversity, depravity, and iniquity. Uh, you know, he says in their, when their iniquity is complete or matured, to its fruit, that complete wickedness, um, when they're ripe for judgment. Um, kind of like before the flood, right? When violence filled the earth. And the Lord brought judgment. Uh, he, he couldn't find anywhere where there wasn't violence. It filled the earth. And now even here with Shechem, the word violate, when he violated Dinah, that was violence. Um, to be honest, that was rape. And uh, it was serious. She was defiled. She was shamed um, and abused. And so that, in fact, is a taste of that violence that was going on before God judged Sodom and Gomorrah and it was not yet even mature, and it would be when they came back after 400 years in Egypt. And so they were never to intermarry. You know, they were to be separate from them. And that sign of that covenant that he made with them was circumcision. So these guys are going to use that little tactic, but um, that was, uh, there's a lot more we'll learn about circumcision in the months ahead, Lord Terry's. Um, so then in chapter 17, 
verses 5 through 8. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Also, I will give you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. And I will be their God, speaking of his descendants. But it says here what's significant is he's going to be their God. He's not going to be one of their gods. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, if you want to skip over to, um, oh, and the word stranger there means pilgrim or sojourner. Um, again, we talked about that, living in tents, you know, sojourning in the land, not building buildings, putting down roots. And uh, as these guys wanted them to do, intermarrying with them. And um, in verse uh, chapter 24, Yep, he says specifically, I will make of you nations not of these Canaanites. I'll give you their land, but not from them. Uh, Will you have your nations? So 24 verses 1 through 7. Well, now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord... Where am I? 1 through 7. Okay, so... uh, And the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. And so Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over that, he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Well, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? Notice this. Abraham says to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, from from the land of my family, and who speaks to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And then if the woman's not willing to follow you, then you'll be released from your oath. But uh, again, the Lord God of heaven swore to Abraham about his descendants not to take a wife from the land of the Canaanites. Next chapter uh, 25, 1 through 6, we see more of how this plays out. Now towards the end of Abraham's life, he takes another wife, Keturah, um, Abraham again took a wife, her name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. And Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Lechushim, and Leumim. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, Elda, and all these were the children of Keturah. And notice, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country to the east. So again, he's sending away from Isaac these that were not part of the covenant. The covenant was through Isaac. 
in the next chapter 26. We remember this uh, when uh, Isaac and Rebekah were, um, you know, they sent out Isaac to, or uh, Jacob to find a wife. But uh, notice just the last couple of verses, uh, 26, 34, and, and 35. When Esau was 40 years old, he took wives, as wives, Judith, the, the daughter of uh, Bereri, the Hittite, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebekah. So they would have hoped that even Esau would have taken wives from their own rather than um, have gone. And so they were a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebekah, a more pointing in that direction. Now Esau wasn't uh, part of the covenant. It wasn't made, but he did receive uh, something from the Lord, a blessing from the Lord, blessing from Isaac, and he received land from the Lord, and we'll see how that plays out if we get to chapter 36. Um, Genesis 28, 1 through 5. Then Isaac called Jacob now. Abraham made sure Isaac took a wife from his family back in um, uh, Haran. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise and go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of, your, of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may God Almighty bless you, make you fruitful and multiply you. And may you be an assembly of peoples and give you a blessing, uh, the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which uh, God gave to Abraham. And so Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, brother of Rebekah, mother of Jacob and Esau. Now to Jacob, the covenant also made. He and, uh, includes not to take a wife from among the Canaanites, and then verses 6 through 9, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Maybe this is the first that Esau thought it was important. But here Esau sees this and hears this about Isaac and uh, what he was telling Jacob. And so now um, Isaac saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. And so Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives that he had. Interesting that Esau now goes to Ishmael, who is relative, who is from Abraham. Um, I belabor this, and I'm going to just take it a little bit further to what the Lord says to Israel as it goes. Exodus 23 because it's important. Obviously, it's important to the Lord that uh, they would not intermarry with the people in the land that they were going to possess, that he was going to give them. Exodus 23, verses 20 through 33. So he says to them, as he's giving them the laws, um, if you look back in the chapter, the headings of justice for all, the law of Sabbath, the annual feasts, but then in verse 20 it says, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way. As they're going to go through the, the desert and as they're going to enter the promised land. Uh, beware of him. Obey his voice. 
do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, those guys, uh, Shechem, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. You should... You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sicknesses away from you, the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you, and I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come. I will make all your enemies turn their backs. I like this one. I will, you know, these days, right now, this time of year. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite and the Canaanite and the Hittite from before you. Man, I like the Lord fighting my battles for me. You just got to sit back and watch these guys running. And I, will not, and I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field come, become too numerous for you. So this is taking place over time when they come back into the land. And it's interesting Again, the wisdom of God and also knowing, you know, what they're able to do and what would happen to the land if it became just pure wild. They wouldn't be able to tame it. Uh, The beasts would become too numerous. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you will inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia from the desert to the river, For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. And then over to chapter 34, 10 through 16. You know, it leads to sin and a snare and would draw them away from God to marry, intermarry with these that are, that got no respect for God or his laws. And, and it is an example for us. Um, in chapter 34, just verses 10 through 16, he makes his covenant now. He made it with Abraham, made it with Isaac, made it with Jacob. Now he makes his covenant with Israel. And he says, and this is the, the children of Israel, Moses, as he took them out of the, uh, Egypt and brought them to the promised land. And, I, and, and he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous god. That's his name. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you to eat of his sacrifice. 
And you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You know, it makes more sense now, doesn't it? Why God was, would say these things. God's covenants with Israel, they're to be his chosen people, holy, separated to him, not have any other gods. One God and one people that he's drawn out for himself as an example. You know, um, and down in 23 and 24, he says he'll watch over their land. And uh, every year when they would go up three times uh, every year to um, uh, go to the tabernacle of the Lord, you know, he would cast out these heathen nations and, and gradually, like we saw before, enlarge the borders uh, as they grow and become a great nation. What's the application for us? Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. I'm sorry, verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 14, and then all the way to the first verse of chapter 7. If God is our God, if he's the God who we've put our trust in through Jesus Christ, then this example, you know, these things were given as examples, right, for us. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, or you know, a, an idol, a devil, a demon? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them. I will walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. That's our call and the example here we see in, in Genesis and Exodus when they were brought into the promised land. You know, the Chapter 6 is, is all about the marks of ministry and, and being holy um, and being set apart to the Lord. You know, we don't have a self-righteousness, if, but if God's our God uh, and we put our trust in Jesus Christ, who we've given our lives to, whose finished work on the cross has taken away our sins, why would we just go run right back into it and join up with these in the world and continue in our sins? It's ridiculous. And, and yes, we struggle. Yes, we have difficulty and we have to every day pick up our cross and follow him and all. But it's, uh, you know, we're clean. We're pure in him. Not of ourselves. It's not our own righteousness. But don't make covenants. Don't get married is the context. Don't be unevenly, unevenly yoked. Uh, I've, so many times you hear the stories that, you know, oh, I can convert him I can win him over I can I can make her come to church and you know the kids will be in church and and you cannot do by your marrying somebody something that only the Holy Spirit can do in somebody's life and it's not like you're gonna bargain with God and say okay I'm gonna marry this one so that they'll get saved it doesn't happen that way and it will you know the Lord may turn that around 
But he says flat out, don't go in with that. And one of you may get saved after you've been married, and then maybe the other will, maybe the other won't. And then you deal with that. That's not the issue. The issue is don't go into that and make these covenants and don't be unevenly yoked. Um, with unbelieving or worldly men or women, uh, you know, you'll end up serving their gods. Same thing with a contract or same thing with a, uh, um, a business venture or something like that. You might find that you've you got this great opportunity with a really good business that, as the guy seems like a good guy. Later on, you find out down the road he's doing things that you absolutely cannot do, and here you've got contracts. And here you've got all these things signed, and, and you can, uh, you're going to get drawn into that. Then the world looks at that, and they, they see what your business is, and they realize that your business is corrupt because you've got somebody else in that business that's doing things that are ungodly. And so where's your witness? Um, you know, they will pull you away from godliness, like he said to Israel. He says, they're going to draw you away. The temptations, you know, figuratively speaking, their daughters will marry your your sons and your sons are going to play the harlot with their gods. It's an attraction. It's a it's a a, a, a pleasure. It's a way to to uh, be with somebody. It's so you're not lonely anymore. But then it ends up taking you down a road to where you're worshiping their gods and you're following after their lusts. And those lusts and attraction become your masters. You find yourself serving their gods. Your witness is shot. Your testimony's in doubt because you, you're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Instead, you're bearing the fruit of, these, of the iniquity and the sins of these people that you're, you're yoked to and the sins of these false gods of this unbelieving world. You know, you're, it's a worldly thing. Who's going to believe anything you have to say about Jesus who died for your sins if now you're serving all these false gods and you're yoked up with them? Back to Genesis 34, um, Dinah, Jacob's only daughter, has 11 brothers at this point. She goes out to see what the other girls are doing, what kind of lives they live. Uh, now this Hivite prince, Shechem, Caesar, takes her by force and violates her, which means he raped her. The violence of these people we talked about already is evident. Shechem was supposedly one of the more honorable of his household, says, and yet he, he takes her by force, violates her. And um, then the next verse, he tries to speak tenderly towards her. And that just is just a weird thing. It almost sounds like a stupid romance novel, you know, or some soap opera. You know, the, the guy turns like that, and all of a sudden he's this nice, sweet-talking guy after what he did. It makes no sense, but it happened. And uh, I guess it's not always a soap opera. Sometimes it's real life, and there can be uh, people like that. Um, but, you know, Jacob hears about it, likely from Leah. I'm sure she went back and, and told Leah everything. And then the sons of Jacob hear it, and they come in from the field, and they're grieved. They're angry. This is their sister, especially Simeon and Levi, the two oldest, Leah's two oldest sons. And here's Dinah, their little sister, by Leah, you know, because Jacob had four different little, you know, cliques, if you will, even though they were all brothers and sister with Dinah. Nevertheless, this is Leah. This is her, her clan. Um, and uh, so Simeon and, and uh, Levi, they're, they're, they're upset. And they call it like it is, defiled. 
disgraceful, a thing which ought not to be done, a reproach. And they treated Dinah like a harlot, like a prostitute. Now the Hivites, well, they want to do exactly what you know, God warned Israel about and, uh, in the covenant and in Exodus. They want to make marriages with us. Take our daughters, give us your daughters, dwell with us. We'll give you some of our land, dwell in land, put down roots, trade goods, do business, open up shop, build a storefront in our town, acquire goods, um, possessions for yourself. Whatever you want, we'll give you. Just give us that young woman for Shechem. They offer everything and they make it available and they're seeking a covenant. Let's put it in writing. You know, we'll give you our daughters. You can have all our goods. Let's, uh, let's make a little contract here. Let's make a little covenant. Now the big picture is, here's Jacob finally getting back to the land after 20 years serving under Laban and uh, gets back to his home. First thing that happens here now is the world tries to get in there and drag him back into bondage. He was free from Laban. And one of the first things you can expect, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 8, one of the things you can expect as a new believer and your sins are forgiven is to be dragged right back in to the life you turned from when you followed Jesus. And in Luke 8, Jesus talks about that very reality for you and I and anyone who's coming to the Lord. One of the first things, if you know somebody who's young in the Lord, the first things you want to tell them is this little parable. And just so they have a heads up. The Lord's got his hand around them and, and is covering them and watching over them like he would, like any one of you would, would do over your brand new newborn. You know, and uh, so that there's that. But he also has a little bit of a heads up. And so looking at verses 5 through 15, Jesus says, A sower went out to sow a seed, and he sowed some. Some fell by the way, side, and it was trampled down, and birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock. As soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, this is something that he wants everybody to understand. And uh, if you don't have the understanding, you know, look for it. And his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? Now keep track of what is what here. Uh, he says to you, It's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables and fulfilling prophecy through David and the Psalms, seeing that they may not see and hearing that they may not understand. Speaking of the present-day Jews and the religious leaders that um, just refused Jesus. And uh, they thought they could see, but they couldn't. They thought they could hear and what they knew, but they couldn't understand the things of Jesus. But in verse 11, now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Just remember that. What's the thing that's trying to be taken away? What's the thing that's going to find good soil and bear good fruit? What's going to do anything for you in your life? And what's going to be the first thing that the world wants to, to drag you away from? The word of God. That seed. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. And when the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Well, how does the devil take things out of, how, how does he take the word of God out of your hearts? 
well, what about you know this uh, this other guy? He says that this means this, and and it doesn't necessarily mean what Jesus is saying it means. And and how do you know that the Bible is true? I mean, what about evolution? And there's all manner of ways that Satan will try and add something into your heart and start to cause you to doubt and to take that word out of your heart. And, and it says that just and, and lest they should believe and be saved. In other words, doubts come in. Somebody tells some, you know, we tell somebody about the, the Lord. We, we try and use the word of God when we're talking because it's the word of God that has power. And you, you, you draw people to the Lord and yet there's always going to be things in their lives that want to draw them out. And until it finds good soil, good soil in their hearts, then things like this are going to happen, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. So this is something, and we've all run into these people, but they have no root, and who believe for a while, and at the same time of temptation fall away. So just like when Jacob's coming into town and these guys, hey, you can have our daughters here, look, these ones, and you'll, we'll read through in the, in the Old Testament, uh, like Balak and Balaam. And, uh, you know, they came through, and we'll get to that too, Lord, if the Lord tarries, that they sent the women down into the camp to, to you know, play the harlot with all the children of Israel. And it, and it just it stumbled them. It wrecked them. And all of a sudden, this is how we worship our gods. And, and they, with sexual activities and things that all the guys couldn't handle. And they, they fell and they followed after and they actually turned God against them. You know, they've heard with joy, but they don't have any root because in the time of temptation, they fall away. In verse 14, now the ones that fell among thorns, those are who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Bringing no fruit to maturity. You know, this, it's one of the most common things, especially these days. You've got the TV with all of, which basically is a covet box. It's going to put before you everything that you need to have, or so they say. I like the one, what's the one commercial that says, uh, you only pay for what you need. Well, how about you only need what you can pay for? That would work, I think. You know, don't need something if you can't afford it, because you probably really don't need it then, can you? Do you? You know, um, the ones that fell among thorns. These thorns are the cares of riches uh, and pleasures of life. And because of that, they bear no fruit to maturity. They're, they're double-minded. There's something in their heart that's there besides the word of God and besides seeking to know the Lord. It's cares of this life. It's uh, pleasures of this life. You know, uh, again, the Lord made us. Uh, to be, to eat, and to, you know, get married and have kids. There are pleasures that he has given us in this life and all, but that's not the type of thing that he's talking about. It's where they would be drawn away from the Lord, not give the Lord glory for it and give the Lord thanks for it. And it brings no fruit and to maturity. It doesn't complete. It starts up and then it withers as soon as the sun comes out. But the ones that fell on the good ground, those uh, are those who, having heard the word with a noble and a good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. The only thing the word needs to do is get into your heart and allow it to get a root, allow it to go deep. Um, 
it takes faith and believing, but as soon as it starts to grow, it bears fruit, and you see that. And then you add to that, faith to faith, and you continue to grow, and you, you see what the Lord's going to do in your life, and it bears fruit. But he says with patience, because it does take time. You know, certainly when we get saved, we find so many things are so easy to lay aside. Because, uh, you know, like maybe some people were smoking and you think, you know, that's enough of this. Certainly people who are in, in doing something illicit, like doing drugs or doing, uh, you know, in prostitution or, you know, if they worked at the, the strip club or something like that. These are obvious things. You don't just keep doing that when you've given your life to Jesus Christ. But there are things that take time. And sometimes they have to get rooted out. You know, uh, I, it, whatever the example is, I'll leave it at that. But again, the Lord will, with patience, bear fruit. So, in Genesis 34, the sons of Jacob deceive Shechem and Hamor to be circumcised. But notice, even they say, even the sons of Jacob say to these guys in verse 16, this will make you one with us. Remember we talked in uh, Adam and Eve, they would become one flesh. Well, in the same way that you know, you make these contracts or you become unevenly yoked. It makes you one with them. And they acknowledge that. And yet they're deceiving him. They're playing, playing tricks on these guys. And they're using circumcision, which was very real and part of that covenant. And they, maybe it's possible that these Hivites even knew that because Abraham had been living there and, had, and Isaac and Abraham was well known in that area and Isaac. And so uh, they... Uh, use circumcision and and you know that is exactly what happens um, oh, I'm backed up there uh, but they, they use notice they even would say that makes them one with them in verse 16 Leah's two oldest sons Simeon and Levi Dinah's big brothers waited until Shechem and his town were all in pain and then they went in and slew them now I don't know what maybe should have been done in this circumstance. I don't think the Lord um, is saying what Simeon and Levi did was wrong. Clearly what Shechem did was wrong, that they could take their, their heads off. If you want to turn to uh, Genesis 49, maybe not necessarily uh, what was done was wrong, but how it was done by Simeon and Levi I'm not going to say one way or the other. And, you know, I don't even want to bring it up and maybe put that seed in your, in your heart and mind. But um, Genesis 49, verses 5 through 7, when Jacob was uh, at his old age at the very end of the book of Genesis, and he was looking over his 12 sons and their, all their families, and, and he was blessing them. In fact, even by then, uh, Joseph had... had uh, um, Naphtali and, oh wait, which one did he have? Manasseh and um, Ephraim and, uh, were Joseph's sons. And so there were actually 13 uh, tribes of Israel, but Levites, and that's a whole other Bible study. So anyways, he's blessing them. And look at verses uh, 5 through 7. He says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. 
Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. And I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So these two guys, they went out and they made a mess of these Hivites in their entire town. Killed every male. And they took everything. And that's kind of what kind of guys they were. Whether Jacob's talking about that right here or not, you know, they did this thing. Had all these guys go get circumcised. Three days later when they probably can't even walk, you know, being grown men and not knowing exactly what was done. Um, might not have been the uh, Levitical process of circumcision, who knows. But either way, they, uh, they went in and they slew all of them. And so now Jacob fears that he is now going to be foul, odious, offensive, obnoxious to the surrounding Canaanites and Perizzites, and he's afraid. Um, Verses 1 through 29. So then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household, to all who are with him, Put away your foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under a terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was on the cities that were around them. So Jacob's fear was, was uh, not justified, because God put terror on those cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And so Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. And now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of the place was called Alan Bakuth, which means a, a, a oak tree of weeping. And then God appeared to Jacob again, and he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And God said, said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore. But Israel shall be your name. And so he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and the king shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham to Isaac, I give to you, to your descendants. After you, uh, I give this land. And to your descendants after you, I give this land. And then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And so Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone. He poured a drink offering on it. He poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel. And they journeyed from Bethel, and they, there was a little distance to go to Ephrath. Well, Rachel labored in childbirth, and, he had a, and she had a hard labor. And now it came to pass when she was hard in hard labor, that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you have this son also. And so it was, her soul was departing, for she had died, that she called his name Ben-Onai, but his father called him Benjamin. And so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, and that is Bethlehem. And Jacob sent a, set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. 
And then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went in and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. End of story. Don't understand um, that, but um, that's what happened. And now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon and Levi, Judah, Iskar, and Zebulun. And the sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpha, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. And these were the sons of Jacob, who were born to him in Padan Aram. And then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre. Isaac was still around after 20 years, 21 years by now, living in, uh, up in uh, Padan Aram. And uh, he came to him at Mamre, Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and so Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Isaac lived five years beyond what Abraham lived. Uh, Abraham was 175. Isaac was 180. God calls Jacob to go to Bethel, make an altar where God had first appeared to him on his way up to uh, Padanaram. The first time at Bethel, Jacob already had the birthright and the blessing of God through Isaac to multiply and have the blessing of Abraham and his descendants and they, that he would inherit the land. And we saw that in chapter 28. And God declared it to Jacob himself now at Bethel. Isaac had blessed him, given him that blessing. But then that first time at Bethel, God declares it to Jacob. Abraham and Isaac had no other gods before them. Abraham left his house way back, left Terah, and um, uh, he had no other gods. God called him out, and God was his God that whole time. Uh, Isaac himself also had no other gods. But Jacob, at that first time at Bethel, remember he made that vow, he says, uh, um, Jacob vowed that the God of Abraham and Isaac would be his God if he watched out for him, provided for him, got him back safely. And now here it is that uh, he is back. And just before he crosses over, he wrestles with the Lord and he calls him Israel. Israel is, means a prince of God in such that prince has a power and strength to wrestle and to grab on to and hold on to God. In other words, he's not going to let go of God until he blesses him and he knows his name. And now Jacob has returned. God commands him to make an altar at Bethel and brings him back to remind him of that place. Now, until now, altars had been built. I mean, Noah, Adam, um, uh, Cain and Abel would offer sacrifices. There had been altars built since the beginning. But this is the first time that God literally commands anyone to go and build an altar. He says, go back to where I appeared to you first. Go back to Bethel. And so he he says... uh, you know, make make an altar to sacrifice to the God that appeared to him at Bethel. The first time God declared himself to Jacob, he is the Lord God of Abraham and Isaac, and he promised him the land, the descendants, numerous as the dust of the earth. But in Genesis twenty eight fifteen, he says, Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done all that I have spoken concerning you. And spoken to you, you know, what a promise, what a glorious thing. And we can grab onto that. The Lord's not going to leave us 
until he comes for us and finishes all that he said he would do. And he did not, and he did, and now Jacob is back, and Almighty God is his God, and he starts for Bethel. But notice in verse 2, you know, he's got some business to take care of. After 20 years in Padanaram, you know, you remember Rachel, when, when they were going to take off, Rachel goes around Laban's house and grabs all of his idols, grabs all of his gold, and these little idols that Laban probably made out of the gold he got from Abraham's servant when he came for Isaac to find a wife. And um, they uh, plundered all that gold from Shechem, you know, and all the goods and silver and all that from Hamar and the Hivites after the Dinah incident. All these things had a mark of a false god on them, a foreign god. And Jacob would leave behind all these gods. And he tainted goods that were, uh, you know, of these false gods. And he left all that for the one true God, the creator, almighty God, the God of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac, not one of these little statues, not one of these little wooden carvings. And God was with Jacob and would keep him, clothe him, and feed him as he asked in 28. And he reaffirms now at Bethel when he promises it to him. And now the terror of God falls on all those around so that no one bothers Jacob as he travels to Bethel. And then God again appears to him and blesses him. Faithful, or I should say fruitful, be fruitful. Descendants, land, and establish his name Israel before the presence of God at Bethel and before all of his household. And again he sets up a pillar and pours out a drink offering and oil he pours out on it. And again, symbolic of marking this, you know, establish this. It's a place. And, you know, Isaac dies, and um, Esau, um, I should say, Rachel delivers Benjamin and dies. And Israel has 12 sons now. They'll be the 12 tribes of Israel and all. But um, Isaac dies, and Esau comes back. And Esau and Jacob together lay him to rest. Now, Bethel uh, would be a place uh, where God would test Joshua when he comes in from uh, defeating Jericho when they're coming back into the land. Bethel's a place where uh, you know Joshua should have prayed before he went up, and he didn't. And they ran with their tails between their legs. And God was using that as a, as a chance, Bethel. And Samuel would go through Bethel when men would come to meet the Lord and sacrifice, when Samuel would be doing his routes, it says in First Samuel, that he would go and he would always pass up through Bethel, and where you know men would come up to meet up with the Lord. Now Jeroboam, later on, one of the more uh, wicked kings after Solomon, um, would set up golden calves and worship them after the, you know, Israel forsook the Lord. And so he was, here's, uh, and then from then on, here's these golden calves sitting up instead of a, a pillar that the Lord had marked and anointed. There the, now there's these false gods, these golden calves that are, are uh, up on these high places. And Elijah and Elisha would prophesy up there at Bethel. Jeremiah, Hosea, Amos, and others would prophesy against that false worship at Bethel. All Israel would know because Bethel is there, they would know where they came from. And, um, you know, that's the place where God spoke to Jacob and says, no more are you Jacob, 
you're Israel. This is Israel's, the, the, the nation of Israel's beginnings uh, as Israel. And certainly their beginnings are back with Abraham and even back to Eve in the garden where the seed was promised. And that seed being the Messiah that would come through Israel and did in fact do so 2,000 years ago. Um, I thought we might have an earlier night tonight because we kind of had a little less worship. But if you don't mind, we've got 10 minutes finish chapter 36. And it's just a quick study. Um, if Thomas, you want to throw that map up, I'm going to read through it. Um, 36, now this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. Esau took his wives from the daughters of, the Can- of Canaan, Ada, and the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and Aholabama, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite. And Basimeth, Ishmael's daughter, sister of Nebajoth. And now Ada bore Eliphaz to Esau, and Basimeth bore Ruel, and Aholabama bore Jeush, and Jaalam, and Korah. And these were the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. And some of these names you're going to recognize when the Lord drives out the nations, and also from later in Scripture. Um, then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the persons of his household, his cattle, and all his animals, and all his goods, which he had gained in the land of Canaan, and went to a country away from the presence of his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together, and the land where they were strangers could not support them because of their, light, their livestock. So Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. And if you look on that map... Um, you can see the, the, the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aqba. And the Gulf of Aqba goes up to the Dead Sea there. That is actually what they call the Araba Valley. And it's basically a fault line of the three continents. Uh, you know, Israel is a crossroads of the world, they say, where Europe and Asia and Africa, if you want to get between any of them back then, you've got to go through Israel. And the trade routes and all of that would go through Damascus and, and Jerusalem and all along there. Well, that's that long stretch, that's that valley. And if you look at the, on the side of the valley to the east, that's a mountain range. And you can see the little circled area, is, is the, that's called the mountains of Seir. And Mount Seir is right in the middle of that, and that's the land of the Edomites, and would be so. And uh, so this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. These are the na- names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, Ada, wife of Esau, Ruel, the son of Basimuth, and the wife of Esau. Sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Teman will come up, uh, Zepho, Getem, Kenaz, remember we talked about the Kenazites? Now Timnah, remember the story of, um, of uh, Samson and Delilah, took place in Timnah, um, was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These were the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. Sons of Ruel were Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, Mizah, and these were the sons of Bathamas, Basimeth, Esau's wife. These were the sons of Aholibama, Esau's wife, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, and she bore Esau, Jeus, Jaalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau. And then there in 31, there's the kings of the sons of Edom, or the kings of Edom, which is where I should say Edom was the chiefs as well. And then in 40, there's the chiefs, though, that were of Esau. Um, Eliphaz, Esau, Teman, you remember Teman, uh, Canaz, Korah, Gedim, Amalek again. These were the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. 
And they were the sons of Ada. Now, if you want to look at the next map, I zoomed in a little bit on the same map. And um, if you kind of look there, you can see that little stretch where, right under where it says Can Canaan in the first three letters. There, there's Amalek, and there's the mountains. If you go up, there's Beersheba, and that's where in the area of and Hebron, that was the area, remember, that uh, the Oaks of Mamre, that's where Abraham settled, and that's where Jacob ended up. Now, when Moses came out of Egypt and brought the children of Egypt out, um, I guess we go back to the other map maybe, uh, he came out up near the Mediterranean, the northern, northeastern part of Egypt, crosses the Sinai, and we'll talk about this when we go through Exodus, but uh, Lord willing, and uh, crossed over, and then some say the Mount Sinai is down there at the southern part of the Sinai Peninsula, but truth is, there is a more likely, when you cross the Gulf of Aqba, um, there are a few things that we can talk about when we get to that, but there's a chance that the real Mount Sinai, where God came down and settled on that mountain, is over in that area of Jordan, north of Yemen, and um, southern Jordan. So, um, But so Moses came out, and he goes up, and he comes through these areas of Edom and the Am Amalekites. In fact, let's go to Exodus 17, and verses 8 through 16. First thing out, they come out of land of Egypt, they, they go through the sea, and our, our, all the Egyptians drown in the water. They get out into the desert, the Lord sends them bread from heaven, uh, makes the bitter water sweet, and, and Moses strikes the rock and gives them water. And uh, then in chapter 17, verse 8, they've just gotten out of slavery, what's the first thing that comes down their pike? Now Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of the men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God at my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, getting tired, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy so that they, so that they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, listen, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, and Moses built an altar and called the name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. In other words, when we're at war, our flag is going to be, The Lord is my banner. Our flag is the Lord. The first battle out of Egypt, the Lord swears that Amalek will be blotted out. For this Moses declares that the Lord is my banner and promised to be with Israel wherever they went to war. Blotted out. Deuteronomy 25, 17. Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 through 19. Moses, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were given to the children of Israel. Had all the miscellaneous laws and all the, all the you, know, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments and all of that and, um, before they entered into the land in the book of Exodus. Um, and then afterwards he wrote all these things down for them. 
And in 25, 17 through 19, he says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around. Remember he's talking about driving them all out. And then as they gradually over time would, would uh, occupy, or not occupy, that's totally the wrong word. When they would, <laughs> when they would take the land and, and inherit the land and they would move in, then the Lord says when that's all done, don't forget. Amalek still has to be blotted out. That is unfinished business. God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. You, shall, you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And don't forget. Do not forget. After they've driven all these Canaanites out and they take possession, they've got to deal with this. How serious is God about this? We don't have time to do this study. It's in 1 Samuel 15. You can read it for yourself. Um, God commands King Saul after the book of Judges, and they had been taking and clearing out the land and taking possession of it. Uh, they didn't do it all, but they'd done enough that finally they have a, a king. They want a king. God wanted to be their king. They just wanted to be like everybody around them and have their own king. And uh, so they, they choose Saul as king, <clears throat> and God chooses Saul and anoints him. And, um, you know, God says, first thing, you know, let's finish some business here. Go down and take out Amalek. Well, Amalek, um, their king, his name was Agag. And Saul goes and he wipes out all of Amalek, except for the good stuff and the king. He's, he wants a little trophy to bring back. Hey, you know, look at me. I, I got the king here. You know, here he is. And look at all these good things. You know, we took care, you know, we got rid of all the kind of ratty stuff, but we're bringing back the good stuff. God said, no, take care of all of it. Remember why? Because of what they did when we were coming out of Egypt. And so then you read the book of Esther. And you realize why this is so important. Because here is an Agagite named Haman that's just about to take all of Israel out and annihilate Israel. And uh, here he is. If, if Saul had done what he was commanded to do and killed all of them, whether this was one of the kids he saved that was with Agag or maybe because he let Agag live long enough to, to bear some kids or whatever, but here is this, this Haman still around all these years later and uh, Satan using such a one to, to literally try and exterminate all Jews that were in King Ahasuerus' kingdom who reigned over all at the time. And uh, then the Lord raises up Esther for such a time as this. Um, so, you know, then on, from then on, God rejects Saul as king and begins to raise up this young shepherd boy named David, you know, this is a significant failure by Saul, nearly catastrophic for Israel. And uh, Edom, Esau became Edom. And just going to take you through a couple of passages here. Numbers um, 20, verses 14 through 21. If you want, I'll just read them. Now I've even gone past my time. You guys are wonderful. Um, 14 through 21. Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel. He's coming up out of the land. He's going along those mountains and going to come up through that area and come and cross the Jordan north of there. But he, there's Edom all along that whole stretch. 
and he couldn't, you know, he fought with the Amal uh, um, Amalek and, and all those, the you Amalekites know, and all, and now he's going up along those mountains, and, and here's Edom, Esau, his brother, you know, Israel's brother, Jacob's brother, their brothers. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. We cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice, sent an angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pl- pass through your country. We will not pass through your fields or vineyards. We will not give drink water from, we will not take your water. We will go along the king's highway. That's that trade route. We will not turn aside to the right, to the left, until we pass through your territory. And then Edom said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. And so the children of Israel said to him, We will go by the highway, and if my livestock drink any of your water, then we'll pay for it. Only let us pass on foot, nothing more. And then he says, You shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage. He wouldn't even let them go through on the king's highway, which is a trade route for all kinds uh, going through that area. So Israel turned from him and had to go around Deuteronomy 23 verses 1 through 8 you know he's going through more of these laws verse 1 is kind of carrying on some of these laws uh, somebody gets injured uh, mutilated and all don't let him be a, a part of the assembly of the Lord so the Lord's talking about those that can be a part of you know the assembly of before the Lord and going back into 22 dealing with even sexual sins and so forth, and just these laws. Well, one of the illegitimate birth, or one of an illegitimate birth, shall not enter into the assembly of the Lord to the tenth generation. Notice that. So what is that? Say you live 70 years. That's 700 years. That you're going to forget by then? I don't know. So one who is, is uh, just an illegitimate by, by birth, for the tenth generation, an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord even to the tenth generation. In other words, it's probably just never going to happen. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, and Pethor in Mesopotamia to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. You shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever, telling Egypt. Notice this in verse 7. You shall not abhor the Edomite, for he's your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you are an alien in his land. The children of the third generation born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. So basically, you know, if somebody wants to join up and enter into Israel... Maybe it's only you know two hundred years instead of seven hundred years, but the idea is you know take note of the fact that Edom was your brother in Joshua twenty four, and just one more after that. Three and four, just one through four. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, just the city of Shechem now, for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river 
in the old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, establishing that God gave these mountains to to Esau. God was the one that established Edom and the Edomites and all. But, so Israel's being told all this because God wants them to know. If you want to turn to Obadiah, and we'll finish up. Um, I guess taking on three chapters is a bit much. Um, 21 verses. Nevertheless, you know, God will judge the nations. Um, The visions of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. The whole book is about Edom. And then at the end, all of the nations. We've heard a report from the Lord. A messenger has been sent among the nations saying, Arise, let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small. You will be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Okay, they lived on those mountains. And so he's saying, You dwelt in the clefts of the rock whose habitation is high. You said in your heart, Who's going to get us down from here and bring us down to the ground? And though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I'll bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, and if robbers by night, oh, how you uh, will be cut off. You know, how would you be cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? In other words, they would have only taken till they had enough, and they would have just left a lot behind and not worried about it. If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out. In other words, now it's going to be scoured. How this hidden treasure shall be sought after, and all the men of your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. None, No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom, and on the understanding from the mountains of Esau, then your mighty men, O Teman, there's one of those names, shall be dismayed, and the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter, every one, for violence against your brother Jacob. Notice what Edom did over the history of uh, having Jacob, his brother, across that valley of, of Arabah. In the day that you stood on the other side, looking across, in the day that strangers carried captive, by, carried captive his forces, you know, God would bring uh, other armies to Israel when he needed to judge them. What's Esau doing? And the Lord's holding him accountable for it. They just stood by. But you, would, you uh, should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity. In other words, just stand there and look at it like it's all just a show in the day of his captivity. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people. They went in in the day of their calamity. When they were weak, the Edomites even went in and and took advantage of Israel. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hand on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those. They wouldn't even let them escape. They they let them pass through the land to go up to the promised land when they came out of Egypt. Now when they're being uh, pursued by heathen nations, their enemies... Here's Esau, here's the Edomites, their relatives, their brothers. They delivered them up to these armies, and they stood in the way and blocked their escape. 
verse 15, for the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. And as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return on your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been before. But on Mount Zion, and when you talk about Mount Zion and God's judgment, you're talking about Psalm 2. And in Psalm 2, the Lord brings all the nations of the earth before him to judge at Zion judging them specifically on how they dealt with Israel and what they did with Israel. On Mount Zion there will be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, Joseph's a flame, Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them. No survival shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. And then the south, they're going to possess the mountains of Esau. The lowland shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim. In the fields of Samaria, Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess all the land of Canaan like they were supposed to do. As far as Zarephath, captives of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the south. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. That's in Psalm 2. God will bring all nations into judgment in Zion. Separate from the world because you're called out. You know, you can't, can't be unevenly yoked with the world and not get tainted by it and not get tempted and not get drawn away to follow after their gods. What's the solution? Belong to God. Let him be your only God and put your trust in him, that finished work of Jesus on the cross and, you know, he died for your sins. Why go chasing after it anymore? Thank you for your long sitting. <laughs> oh, Lord, thank you for your word, and I pray you'd send us on our way. Um, yeah, we could walk and follow after you and just do all the things you've given us to do. Each one of us different. Each one of us has a life that you've given us and raised us up for in these very last of the last days to accomplish something for your kingdom. I just pray you'd put it before our faces, confirm it to us, give us the abilities and the desires to just walk in those things you've given us to do, each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.